Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded December 14th, 2021. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. This week in the podcast, we recap some of the conversations we've been having with investors in December about our 2022 outlook. Two big things you need to know. First, investors have been keen to discuss the downside risks to the market. While we're still constructive on 2022 and are still looking for 50-50 on the S&P 500, we outline five things we're concerned about regarding the broader market, which could generate volatility in the year, particularly early on. Second, as we've discussed our view that value cyclicals and small cap will lead early in the year, while growth secular and large cap will lead later in the year, the investors we've been speaking with have wanted to explore what our thoughts are on the timing and triggers of that leadership shift. If you'd like to hear more, here's another seven minutes a little longer than usual just because it's outlook season. Takeaway number one. Investors have been keen to explore the downside risks to the stock market in our early December meetings. There's been no change to our 2022 S&P 500 price target of 5,050, which we updated in November. That represents a 7% gain from the December 10th close and highlights how we continue to expect 2022 to be a year of solid but moderate returns in the S&P 500, at least more moderate than what we saw in 2021. Our target is roughly the average of 12 different models and tests that we run. Most of our economic models, which bake in another above-average year of GDP growth in 2022, current consensus is calling for 3.9% right now, are calling for a move to 5,100 or higher. Meanwhile, two of our three models that look at stocks versus bonds are calling for an 8% move on the year. The third is actually even more bullish. These all remind us that stocks still appear to be the best game in town, at least for a little while longer. Our favorite one of these tests is our dividend yield test, which highlights how 46% of stocks in the S&P still offer a dividend yield in excess of the 10-year Treasury yield. When asked about the actual downside risks to the stock market, I've pointed out five things that we think are reasonable to worry about most of which could lead to volatility in the early part of the year. First, a more hawkish Fed than investors have been prepared for, and its potential impact on valuations. The most bearish model among the 12 that we use to arrive at our price target points to a 2% decline on the full year due to multiple contraction. This forecast assumes a 10% contraction in the S&P 500's forward PE and incorporates our 2022 and 2023 EPS forecasts of 223 and 243. While forward multiples are often flattish or choppy over the duration of a hiking cycle, a 10% drop is the average low point seen in the PE if you start measuring at the beginning. The second risk, tough comps on earnings in the first half of 2022. Bottom-up 1Q and 2Q estimates for next year are tracking at 6 and 5% respectively, meaning there's little room for error at a time when inflation and supply chain pressures may be improving a bit, but are still likely to be intense. The third risk, Expectations around the timing of supply chain improvements are also worrying us a bit as we think about January-February forecast season. Our investor survey work suggests many are expecting meaningful supply chain improvements to emerge around mid-year. But trends in global COVID cases tend to lead freight rates, an important barometer of supply chains, by one to two months. Restrictions in Europe and Asia due to Omicron could complicate the path of supply chain recovery. Fourth, If inflation trends begin to moderate in terms of the rate of change, as some economists around the street are anticipating, we worry that positioning in U.S. equities, which has been quite stretched at all-time highs on some studies, could also soften. Over time, we found that equity ownership by U.S. households, net of cash and bonds, as a percent of financial assets, tends to track CPI over time.
Fifth, politics. Midterm election years tend to be positive ones for the stock market, but well below trend. While stocks have benefited in recent months from the expectation that the midterms will be good for Republicans and bad for Democrats, it's 11 months until Election Day, and there's time for a lot of things to happen. If Democrats' prospects improve either because inflation pressures moderate or COVID fades, or for any other reason, frankly, this could pose a new hurdle for the stock market. Takeaway number two. As we've discussed our view that value cyclicals in small cap will lead early in the year, while growth secular and large cap will lead late in the year, the investors we've been speaking with have wanted to explore what our thoughts are on the timing and triggers of that potential mid-year leadership shift. As a reminder, for background, there are really four general reasons why we think value cyclicals in small cap lead intermediate term before growth secular and large caps take back over. First, value cyclicals in small cap tend to outperform when GDP is running above average, as is expected to be the case again in 2022, while growth secular and large cap tend to outperform when GDP is running below average, which consensus is calling for in 2023. Second, value cyclicals in small cap tend to outperform ahead of first Fed rate hikes, while leadership tends to shift back towards growth secular and large cap after hiking cycles start or shortly thereafter. Third, for now, valuations are more favorable for value cyclicals and small cap relative to growth, secular, and large cap. And fourth, longer term, high quality tends to outperform, and growth, secular, and large cap are viewed as higher quality parts of the equity market as opposed to value cyclicals and secular. In terms of the more precise signals and timing of the actual shift between the two camps, there are really three things we're watching for. The first is the timing of the start of the hiking cycle. Though pivots can happen in the middle or end, the major leadership trades often inflect shortly before or after hikes start. Either liftoff or the emergence of a new consensus on timing could be the trigger this time around. A March hike would mean the cyclical trades don't last as long as a mid-year or September hike would. The second thing we're watching is valuations. The cheapest stocks tend to outperform the most expensive stocks when rates are rising. This makes us think once the valuation gaps currently in place for value cyclicals and small cap close, market leadership may be ready to shift away from those areas. It's worth noting that financials, the biggest source of market cap in the value indexes, still looks attractively valued versus the S&P and Russell 2000, but only modestly so. And the last thing we're watching in terms of the timing or trigger for the shift is positioning. The growth trade currently looks highly over-owned when we look at asset manager positioning in NASDAQ futures as tracked by CFTC. We think we'll need to see the froth out of the NASDAQ positioning data come out before the growth trade is really ready to lead again, in a sustainable way at least. Similarly, small caps, where positioning is middle of the road at the moment, may also start to look over-owned again when the cyclical trade runs its course. A lot of hedge funds we find do treat small caps as a value proxy. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't subscribed already, be sure to check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other major podcast providers. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.